Welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. I hope you guys are doing well. I'm uh, so thankful that you guys want to be hanging out Easter Sunday with us here at Cedar House Church. So fun. I was curious on who would show up, if you know, how many people would come and all that. So on a Sunday night service with this type of weather on Easter, and so the hungry get fed. So super excited that you guys are here. So, so fun. Um, as you can tell, I typically don't wear a sports coat um, to church. So up my game up a little bit. Um, this is more of what I wear, like a Monday through Thursday type thing. But I typically don't wear this when I'm up here. This is the same sports coat that I wore at our wedding, which was almost 10 years ago. So I'm going to ride that as long as I possibly can. In 10 more years, if I'm still wearing it, I don't care how ugly it is or beat up. I'm just going to keep wearing it to... Try to stay as thin as I possibly can. I, um, I'm, I'm a pretty festive guy, so I enjoy, you know, Christmas and New Year's and Easter and all that kind of thing. And uh, now I have kids, so I really enjoy building it up. So I, I asked Stacy. I told her I was, I was thinking about going all the way out and wearing a giant Easter bunny outfit. And she told me that'd be a little weird. And my better half, <clears throat> she said something like, people already think we're a little strange. Um, let's not add, add to the fuel. So I thought it was a good idea. But all joking aside, JP is wearing a life-size Easter bunny outfit afterwards for the, uh, for the Easter egg hunt. If you want pictures with him, you can do that. I'm kidding. JP is not doing that. How many of you would like to see JP in a full-size bunny outfit? He's not in here. Well, we'll see. We'll see what we can. What kind of unlimited resources? We'll see what we get to in this whole in this whole thing. But now, awesome! So glad you guys are here. I think I actually know everyone in the room. I've I've met everyone, which is great. So Easter Sunday, so fun. This is the Sunday. This is the day where we really celebrate King Jesus, and we celebrate His resurrection, and we celebrate um, how awesome He is. We celebrate now that we get to live from victory. Jesus. Um, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He was telling us that he was going to do this, and he did it. He's, he's a man of his word. He's very trustworthy. His, his character level was so high to say, this is what I was going to do, and he, then he accomplished that goal. It just really speaks to me. He's um, hit the strength of him to go into the grave and come back up, and for us to now live in victory is just stunning to me. I just I can't thank him enough for what he did and the example that he set for us to go out and do everything that God has for us is just absolutely amazing the kindness and the strength of the moment to come out of the grave like that and now we forever get to live in victory it's just absolutely amazing look there's JP he doesn't have the Easter the Easter bunny outfit remember what I was telling you about the Easter bunny outfit I'm just kidding I'm just joking. He's like, what are you talking about? No, but just celebrating this this incredible uh, day about King Jesus and what he did is is amazing. So, you know, we live in a country, and we live especially in a region that celebrates this day, and we really celebrate all the highlights of the life of Jesus, Christmas, Easter, those things, and we rightfully should do those things. But I think it's so easy to just gloss over really what he did for us in this series of events. It's, it's real easy to just gloss over how, how 
uh, powerful or how monumental of a moment it is for Jesus to die and come back for us. So the the, the thing that's been on my heart, which is pretty much for the past five Easter's, is what I'm going to share with you today. When you when you allow the resurrection to really permeate your soul, and you give yourself over to actually what that means, there are two things that come out of me. The first one is thankfulness. We should always be so thankful. The ground floor theology that we should have in the kingdom is thankfulness. If we're ever getting away from thankfulness, we're completely off. We should never be becoming entitled or spoiled. Anytime you can't find that you're rooted in thankfulness, you've got to change something. You've got to alter something to get back to where your heart is in a place of thankfulness. But the second thing that Jesus did that really just speaks to me is that he took away any of our ability to have excuses to not become everything that the Father has for us. I, um, something that I've just been telling in my own heart is, is God saying to me, you don't need more information, you need less excuses. You don't need more information, you need less excuses. He's already paid the way. He already explained to us what we need to do. And now it's up to you and I to actually carry this out. And he's looking for people that have the capacity just to trust him for us to say, yes, I'll do it. And, and yes, I'll stop making excuses for everything that you've done. Um, I want to step back and just kind of give a broad overview of, of what's, what Easter is all about <clears throat> by really just taking a, a giant overview of the Christian life starting all the way back from Adam, what Adam's decisions did, and then where you and I are, and how we have a decision to make if we want to live in trust or live off of excuses. And in my own walk, this is probably the number one subject that God's been teaching me on. I, I remember one of my heroes says, feed them what God's feeding you. And so I thought, you know, on an Easter Sunday, you typically you want to give a a, a champion Easter Sunday. Going a little bit different than that. Hopefully you leave today not sad. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, hopefully you leave very empowered. And so um, it's just, I really feel like God for our community is really tilling the ground for us to live in a way that's very empowered and not living with excuses, which will make sense in a second. So in the beginning, God created Adam. Everyone knows the story, but God created Adam and God created Eve, and he was teaching them how to have dominion over their garden. He made Adam in his image. Adam was like a son, and daily God would train and teach Adam how to behave. You see this as he's, Adam is naming the animals. You can just imagine their conversations of, of him teaching him how to work the garden, him teaching him how to be a man, him teaching him how to take care of livestock, all of the things that I can't wait to watch the films of in heaven of what that's going to be like. He was teaching them how to behave. One day, Adam made a really bad choice. As we all know, he took a bite of the apple, which he, which he shouldn't have done. It wasn't so much about the apple. It was the fact that Adam started paying attention to the voice of someone else other than God. He started getting his, he got his attention and his information somewhere else than the father's voice and so as we all know adam bit the apple so what happened in this moment whenever adam bit the apple it, it created a monumental space between god and man and the whole old testament is this huge cavern between god and man where god is trying to model his love for us and trying to model his connection for us 
all because of this this decision that Adam made, which is unbelievable. So I want, I want to pause in that story and, and highlight one thing when we're talking about this idea of living with excuses. So when Adam, notice how Adam bit the apple and then he started hiding. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but this is pretty much what the father said to him. He said, Adam, where are you? Adam, what happened? Adam, who told you that you were naked? You can just hear the father's pain saying, Adam, what's going on? Adam, tell me what happened. Our connection has been, there's a disconnect between you and I. And the first thing that Adam does is make an excuse. The first manifestation of sin in the Bible is an excuse. Adam immediately, through blame, took, tried to take the attention and put it on something else. He says, Adam, what happened? And immediately Adam says, she made me do it. We're in the middle of a marriage series. We're taking a break because of um, Easter. Next week, Stacy and I are going to talk about marriage. Guys, don't do that. <laughs> but that's for another subject. Um, this idea that notice all of a sudden Adam was behaving like a child. And when the father came to him and just asked him what happened, his first response was, I'm going to try to dish out the blame. I don't want to be held responsible for my behavior. So I have four daughters uh, that are seven, four, two, and a newborn. And I love being a dad. It's like the privilege of the Christian life. It's absolutely amazing. There's nothing more that I would rather do. It has truly become like my joy, which I'm so thankful that that's become that way. Sometimes when you're young, it doesn't, you're not there yet, you're still wrestling with it. I'm there now to where my, my, the joy of my life is being a dad. And being a parent, you get to train and teach your children. It's a, it's a weighty privilege. But the way we try to parent, we say, make so many mistakes. What we try to do is train them to be when they're older, they're in the best position to make the best decisions for their life. And so from a young age, they start immediately when I address something with them, their first response is to blame someone else. Their first response is to make some weird excuse. So here's an example. I walk in, my seven-year-old is eating chocolate. I say, Hope, Hope, what's going on? She's like, well, Annabelle gave it to me. I'm like, Hope, Hope, mommy said you couldn't have chocolate. Yeah, but but yesterday, mom said if this happened, like maybe we could have chocolate today. Hope, are you supposed to be eating chocolate today? <laughs> or Annabelle, my four-year-old will hit my seven-year-old, and the seven Hope will hit her back, and I'll say, Hope, Hope, what are you doing? She's like twice her size. She's like, well, she hit me, and I'll say, who's in charge of Hope? You mean you chose to hit her after she hit you? Say yes. I'm saying no one can make you do anything. Hope you're in charge of you. Annabelle hit you. That doesn't mean you just hit her back. You take care of you, and Annabelle will take care of Annabelle. These are two separate things. Hope, why did you hit Annabelle? I didn't. I was upset, and I chose to hit her. Awesome. We can work with that once you make that type of decision. Are you with me? Now they don't learn that from watching me and Stacy. Now, Stacy may be doing some crazy stuff when I'm out at home and maybe that's where they learn it. I don't know. I'm that's you know, I'm not I'm not blaming my wife. See there's no excuses. I'm kidding. Um but I'll just say I'm like, do you ever see me do that? And they'll say no. 
and say, Hope, do you ever see me talk bad about somebody? No. Uh, do you ever see me hit anyone? No. So that's how you should behave in the house. But I'm training them to live a life to where they take ownership over their responsibility. They're not living a life of excuses. Well, this person did it, so I did this. That's never, that should never be the goal. But this is what happens. And I've struggled with this too. You can age, but not grow. You can be, we talked about the, Kayla mentioned it with the frontal lobe thing at the marriage, during the marriage panel last week. You can become older, but not advance internally. I watch this all the time. It's like people will resort, they're 45, and they resort back to a seven-year-old, and then they resort back to it over a different situation. I'm like, what was that? And they never, they've aged, but they haven't grown. And even as adults, we don't like just taking responsibility for our lives. We don't like, we really like the idea that if someone else did something to us, it's their fault. We don't like just living with full empowerment to say, I'm in charge of myself, no one else makes me do anything. And notice how intense of a manifestation that is for it to be the first response from sin, to blame, to make an excuse. Are you with me? All right, back to the story. Jesus so there's a disconnect between God and Adam. Old Testament is a slew of issues. It's just, there's so much confusion about the Father, and there's so much confusion about what Christian life is supposed to look like. Jesus came and he cleared it all up. He showed us what the Father looked like, and he showed us what the Christian life looked like. And in order to seal the whole thing, he had to die for our sins so we could be reconciled back to the Father so we could be in his presence today during worship. All of that happened because of what Jesus did. In the Old Testament, it was very um, like a visitation-type culture. Like sometimes God would show up. You had to do all these random things for it to happen. In the New Testament, now God is abiding with us. The Holy Spirit is now with us. But Jesus did all that. Jesus came back. So you can look at it like this. Adam had the keys of the kingdom, and he lost them. We're fumbling around, fumbling around. Jesus came back, died on the cross, went into death, hell, and the grave, got the keys back, and then he came back to you and I. And this is what he says. This is in two different spots in the Bible, but we call this the Great Commission. Are you with me? So I'm going to read John 20, verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, were there for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Everyone say this with me. As the Father sent me, I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and into them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from, from any, it is withheld. So Jesus then comes back. So he goes into the grave. He, gets, he, has, he goes and restores everything that was lost, everything that Adam lost. Jesus comes back, restores it all. Now notice it's not over. He turns to you and I and he says, now look, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So we're the third part of this equation. Can I get an amen? Okay. Now, here's the deal. You and I, if that's true, 
which is we're choosing to believe this is true, then you and I are now empowered to live a life carrying out the same lifestyle that Jesus carried out. Did you hear me? It, it, he, he really believes in you and I. He thinks that this is a good idea. Like he went through this world of issue. I mean, for the father to send his son, allow him to die the most torturous death, all of this risk, all of this pain, and then all of it is so he can just hand the baton off to you and I. This is a successful plan to him. Like, this isn't a fumbled, mismanaged opportunity. Are you with me? Like, he thinks that you are worthy of taking it and running with it. Okay, so here's, your, here's the deal now. We have to believe that or not. You have to choose to believe that you are worthy and important enough for him to hand the keys off to and for us to continue down the path that he had started. All right. Let's, let's step back a little bit over here. Okay. The Bible said it's for freedom that Christ sets you free. So think about this with me. I don't want to offend anybody. He didn't set you free so that you go to heaven. He didn't set you free so you'd be a better person. He didn't set you free so you could get someone else saved. He sets you free so you'd be free. So listen, he, he's very serious about this free will thing. And he doesn't want to manipulate you, so he goes through this whole plan to just empower you. He did all of this so you could choose. See, we in leadership, we get this wrong. We think that God's controlling, so we control God doesn't do that. God tells you the way it should be, and then you're free. You can choose it or not choose it. And if you say no, he seems to be okay with that. I don't know how else to say it. It's just what the Bible says. So my point is this. You get to choose. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro. I'm telling you, he's looking for people who would say, all right, I'll do it. No more excuses. I'll do it. This, this excuse thing goes way farther than like excuse that we're not raising the dead. I'm talking about my boss did something negative. I'm talking about I slightly in my heart blame my spouse for something from six years ago. I'm talking about little blame and excuses of, well, that's just, I wasn't raised that way. All of it disempowered. You just you take all form of ownership, and you're just like, well, it's that person's fault. Well, this, da, 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 da. all of it, all of it is disempowered. All of it is so you feel like you don't have a choice. And God's looking for people to say, okay, I'll, I'll choose, and I'll say yes. Okay, <clears throat> so you take that choice, and then you look at what Jesus did. Think about the stuff he did. All power, all authority, gave us the Holy Spirit, gave us scripture, gave us prophecy, gave us promises. I mean, he equipped us. The Holy Spirit is living. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. I mean, that's so much. He's equipped us for so much stuff. And now we're in this position and we get to choose. So here's the thing. Here's what it comes down to. We get to choose excuses or we get to trust. And that's it. 
all of this gigantic plan comes down to where he believes in you and I and he allows you to choose. He's pretty incredible. That's not how I would do it. <clears throat> That's a risky plan. He's okay with how much we, we seemingly just fumble around with the kingdom. Like, he's okay with generations. Are you, I mean, he just seems okay with like 30 years for us to figure it out. He's a big God. I don't understand that at all, but that's how he does it. He loves us so much, he's not going to force his will upon us. All right. So, my challenge to you today is that you stop blaming anyone for anything in any part of your life and make no excuses. I'm serious. The, the, the idea of I can't blank, it's, that's a lie. Yes, you can. He said nothing's impossible. Listen, this, I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm talking about trust. I'm never going to make this amount of money because that's just how I was raised and I don't have enough education. That's a lie. I'm never going to see the sick healed. That is a lie. I'm never going to have a great relationship with my kids. That is a lie. Do you know how you change it? You stop making excuses and empower yourself to be the change. You take your free will and you partner with God and then anything is possible. Every, like, four years of my life, I look back and I'm like, man, if I would have just thought how I think now that would have worked a lot better. So my point is like the, your human capacity grows as you stop making excuses and trust. And I think God is looking to speed that process up. Are you with me? People who are like, yeah, I want more. God, I'll do it. I won't make any excuses. I'll take all of it. God's looking to empower us. Okay. Two more things. I know y'all are, I know y'all just want to do the Easter egg hunt. I can feel it in the room, but I'm going to keep trucking through it. <laughs> one of the things that happens as you start, here's one of the issues that happens. We start this comparison thing, and we start this competition thing with one another, and we do it real subtly. It's not like you don't, I do it too, and I, I don't realize that I'm doing it. So just layman's sake here, there's a couple parables that basically say this. There's, there's men that are given different people that are given different talents. The word is actually a talent. So say we got a guy with one, a guy with five, and a guy with ten. So what happens is we get in this thing where it's like, well, I have five, this guy's got ten, this guy's got one, like naturally. And so it, it limits what I'm able to do because I just pay attention to the guy with ten. Or I don't know how to behave with what I do have around the guy who has less than me. And so it's, it, like, constricts us. Does that make sense to you? So my point is, just own what you own and do the best you can with it. But don't make excuses of, well, this guy started off with one, that's all he's got to do, or this guy was ten, of course he's going to do that. When the guy with five did well, he jumped up to five cities. When the guy with ten did well, he jumped up to ten cities. It was the same multiplier effect. God didn't expect the guy who started with five to jump to ten cities. He said they got the same response. Great job. Multiply. Great job. Multiply. Are you with me? Do you, do you know the people around you like, that guy's just born with ten? Okay, here's how you know. A little side note. 
if they inspire you, your heart's in a good spot. If any other emotion comes, then you're not just happy with what God's given you to steward. If someone has more than you in something, it should inspire you. If it doesn't, get back into the quiet place. Here's my mina. Here's my talent. I'm going to move forward with it accordingly. Amen? I feel like we have barely tapped into our capacity, and God wants to fill it. All right. Easter Sunday sermon. Why would I say all this? It is so easy as Christians. This is going to sound a little edgy at first. It's not. It's so easy to look to when something great happens, when God did something, to just build a monument around it. And so we forever sit and look at the monument. That's not what he wants. Now, you never want to lose the regard of thankfulness, right? In heaven, we're forever praising the Lamb for what he did. So please don't misunderstand me. But an equal truth is, okay, he did all that for me to take it. This is what religion does. It feels good about celebrating the altar. So it just creates all this theology around what happened. But it's disempowering, and now I get to live with excuses of, well, God's just, he hadn't done a new thing yet. Does that make sense? When it's like, no, let's go create the new thing. The, the new thing is Acts 2. We still haven't seen it. So let's keep going. Are you with me? So we, we build monuments and we honor it, but we do that because we're valuable enough to know that God wants to keep moving us forward. Most of it is a worth issue. The woe is me thing, that I'm not worth God using, that's so subtle, that comes into our hearts, is a bunch of crap. It just is. No one is effective at anything if you think you can't do it. So a man thinketh, so a man is. If you don't think you can accomplish what God has for you, you won't do it. So here's, here's in closing. There's no more excuses. Do we trust what he said to do? Then he gave us the capacity to fulfill it. Will you live with no excuses? Let's use language like we haven't figured it out yet. I'm in my process, but I'm trying. Let's not say this in 40 years. We're waiting on God. Can we stop saying we're waiting on God, but means we do nothing? (laughs) If you want to be something or do something, be it and do it. We can't use God as a crutch to say, well, God hasn't done it. God did it. I felt good to say. I do want to highlight, I felt like during, uh, I felt about a year ago that if there's something on your heart that you want to start, I think our community has felt this, there's something on your heart that you want to start or be, just start it, be it, do it, step out, watch God move. Okay, 
Moses gets to the Red Sea. God told him to cross it. He gets to the Red Sea, turns around and starts praying. Think about this moment. And God says, Moses, what are you doing? I told you, raise your stick. Like we would think that's success. I'm nervous. I'm going to pray. He's like, Moses, raise the stick. What did I tell you to do? Move. Advance. Okay. I'm going to stop rambling here because I could do this for 45 minutes. All right. When we go ahead and stand up, worship team, why don't you come back up? This is what I'd like to do during worship. If you would just rededicate yourself, ask God what are areas in your heart that you feel like you are hiding from or things in your future that you know that God has for you that you're hiding from. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And the things that you're avoiding out of some weird wound. And just rededicate your life and say, okay, God, I'd like to be all in. I won't make excuses. Jesus did all of this so we would have no excuses and we have the capacity to fulfill everything he has for us. Amen? Awesome. We're going to do this for, we'll do a song for five minutes and then we're going to go Easter egg hunt extravaganza. Awesome. Jesus, thank you for executing how you did. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your resurrection. You did an amazing job. Jesus, you did an incredible job. You, you're really good at what you set out to accomplish. And we just adorn you with praise. We honor you and we hail you as King Jesus. You're our King. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.